Welcome. Fire me up. Welcome. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, vacation Bible School. At the first service, the Nicole got up here to speak about Vacation Bible School, um, and she's off in the bus ministry right now. But we need about 20 to 25 people for Vacation Bible School this year. The, the sign-up sheet is in the back. And uh, I think we're around 10 people now, so we need about 15 more at least. Vacation Bible School, we are going into uh, Mission, Maine, right down the street. There's a couple fields there, and we're just pouring into the kids in that community, as well as the kids in our church are going to be a part of it. And the week is, I think it's something like July 28th to August 3rd, whatever that, or July 30th to August 3rd, whatever that week is. And even if it's just one day, if you can help out, we need people to help with crafts, we need people to help with soccer, we need people to help with uh, just managing the kids. And, and this is uh, pouring our life into these kids. You know, I, the, the, one of my favorite um, pastors that I read, writers, his name is Charles Spurgeon. He's probably the most quoted person on Sunday morning in born-again churches across the country, if not uh, number one, is at least in the top five. You know, in his sermons, there's a, there's a verse in John chapter 12. We were actually in it a few months ago. It says this, Jesus says this, where I am, there my servant will be also. And Spurgeon actually has five different sermons about that one verse. And I'm a big Spurgeon fan. I've never seen so much focus on one verse. He died fairly young and gave five sermons on that one verse. And, and where I am, there my servants will be also. And I just really believe it's, 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 it's where um, a lot of times where, where the outcast is, where the, the, the less than privileged, the, 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 the Bible says repeatedly, the immigrant, uh, we are uh, ministering there. And so Vacation Bible School, but that is for our children as well. It's for everybody. Sign up is in the back. Okay, so right now I'm going to call Noelise up here and I'm going to call Grace up here. Noelise and Grace, please come up at this time. I'm going to grab this mic. So Noelise and, and Grace, I'm, I'm just going to use, I'm going to use this, okay? So uh, Noelise and uh, Grace just uh, graduated from high school, yeah? And so Noelise, what school? Uh, the O'Brien. The O'Brien. And their number one rival, where did you graduate from? Boston Latin Academy. So they were in rival schools there, and they, I went to like uh, really uh, competitive soccer matches uh, between the schools, and uh, actually I think they went back and forth, Grace, right? Sometimes O'Brien won, sometimes BLA won. So uh, anyway, uh, we are so proud of them, and I, I just, look, I just want to ask you just a couple questions. So Noelise, where, where are you headed off to now? What are your plans? Grab this mic and tell us. Um, so I'm going to start at Suffolk University in the fall. And that's where I'm headed. And um, I'm going to Lynchburg, Virginia um, at Liberty University. 
first time I was ever in the South is when my first day of college, and I'm like, Grace, you better be ready for the South. <laughs> but actually, the South better be ready for her is the real thing. Uh, but uh, uh, no, Lise, if I could do this, and I didn't ask, I didn't tell them these questions in advance. I, I, I'm sorry about this, but can you just sort of, I don't know, just size up <laughs> this is a crazy question, but size up these last these last twelve years, especially just the last four years in high school. Um, how they've been for you? What it was like? And you looking forward to going forward? This type of thing. Um, yeah, he didn't prepare us for these questions. Yeah. I don't know. Um, this is what college is like. Your professors are going to be calling on you like this at Suffolk in front of a hundred other students. Um, so school was like always a way for me to escape whatever was going on in the rest of my life. So whether, but it still had ups and downs. Like there were years where I felt like, yeah, school's not for me. I just don't like any part of it. Like social interactions, speaking in front of people, um, <laughs> and, um, you know, things like that. I just, I thought that I wouldn't get this far. But then there were other times, especially the last four years, where I realized that I, it doesn't matter. Like, these kind of things shouldn't get in my way because I really like learning. And, yeah, that I'm excited about going to Suffolk. I don't know what I'm going to do. So if you that's one of your questions, I answered it already. Um, I just know that I... <laughs> I just know that I, I want to go to learn a lot. That's all. What was the question again? <laughs> um, well, I guess the last four years, well, technically our schools are six years because, yeah. Um, but I really did realize that I do, like, love to learn. I remember my mom used to be homeschooling me. I used to, like, sprawl myself on the floor because I didn't know how to do division. But now I know how to do, do division. <laughs> um but yeah, I really, I realized my passion and I am really excited um, to try to put myself out there. And it was difficult. We, built, we went to hard schools um, and it was lots of stress for getting good grades, um, getting into a good college, but it's all over and I'm really excited. So one of the things that I appreciated talking with Noah Lisa about is she, she really expressed to me more than once the desire to know how to talk with uh, people from other religions, other faiths, or humanists um, about the Lord. And so Noah Lisa, this is a New King James Version study Bible, okay? <laughs> and um, I have your card in there too, but this is what I started when I became a Christian in my early 20s. This brought the Word of God to life. I also want to read that book with you. You know that, so we, we want to read that book together. And then, uh, Grace, uh, you're going to, uh, well, the Liberty University is a Christian college, but guess what? At a Christian college, there's any at a Christian at, at any church or Christian college. There's people who veer off and and uh, and and uh, go into error and things like that. This is this is what you're you want to use now. I know you've been growing up with the Word of God, but uh, this will bring the Bible to life uh, in a way that um, I think you've, you you uh, that that most people haven't 
um, experience before, before getting into the study Bible. It has those footnotes on the Bibles just explain, you know, explaining what the verses mean. So there you have it. Here is your New King James Version study Bible. Okay? And before you go, let me give you your cards. No, Elise. And Grace. Okay, very good. God bless you. The Lord has wonderful mile markers in our life, and these graduations are one of the mile markers of his faithfulness, right? It's wonderful. Okay, so if you could rise for the reading of God's Word, we are in John chapter 17. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hand. John chapter 17, this is uh, Jesus, God the Son, praying to Jesus, God the Father. Verse 13 we are in. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of John. John chapter 17, verse 13, says this. This is Jesus talking to the Father. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for just opening up the treasures in, in the Word of God, your Word. There's so many treasures there, Lord, new and old, and your Word says, and, and we come here on Sundays, Lord, in order to have those treasures come to life. And Lord, we need to feed off those treasures. Lord, we're going out into a world where we're going to need those, th this treasure, the treasure that we discover even today in order to thrive and be the men and women and children of God that you've made us to be, Lord, and, and that can only happen by your grace. And so we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring this word to life with power. And I pray that for this church and every church teaching the Word of God in Boston today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay, so when you think of God, when you hear the word God, what are the first three words that come into your mind? What are the first words that come into your mind when you hear about uh, just the word God? You know, my, my guess, my guess is that most of you, among the first three words that come to your mind are words like love, a word like mercy, grace. A word like just, 
patience, long-suffering. You think of God, you think of the word forgiving. Some of, some of you may think of the word angry. So many people in the word, world, they, they say the name God, they think of the word angry. You know, and you know something? The Bible says that God is angry in a holy and just way, in a righteous way, every minute, every day, because of what he sees. Some of you, or no, my guess is most of you would probably say holy. Many of you would. What words do you think of when, when, that word, when you hear that word God? Uh, many of you would say kind. Many of you would say faithful. Many, uh, some of you would say trustworthy. But my guess is that most of you would not say joy. This is my guess. The word joy would not be one of the first words to come to your mind when you're thinking about words that describe God. And I want to change that. I want to change that for you and for me. I personally believe that a man or woman who's filled with the Word of God, who for years and years has been drinking in the Word of God, meditating on it, studying it, being saturated with it, will reach a point where when they're asked for a word that describes God, the word joy would, will be one of the first words that come out of their mouth. And I want to get you to that place. I want you to get you to this place. I, I, not because it's a nice idea. Not, not because it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, God, joy, you... So much religion's like that. It's just basically you teach whatever makes you feel warm, fuzzy. That's not the, the, the reason that I want to get you to this place. The reason I want to get you to this place is that the Bible teaches that among the first words that God uses to describe himself is the word joy. I didn't grow up knowing Anything remotely similar to that. It's what the Bible teaches. Why is this important? Because, and I'm going to spend time talking about this today, it's important because I believe as Christians that when Christians get to this place where something goes click inside of them and they realize that, that God is, is filled with joy in a way that no human being has ever been filled with joy in the history of the world or before or, or going forward, that God is all about joy and that he's filled with joy, that their relationship with God will become so much more fruitful. Your relationship with God will become so much more fruitful. And, and, and remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I think it's verse 11. You didn't choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit, and you will become so much more fruitful when you understand that God is filled with joy, and something goes click inside of you to the point where when, when you're asked, when you, and when you hear the word God, what word comes to mind? You say the word joy, in addition to a couple other words, holy, love, this type of thing. So how do I know? How do I know that God is joyful? Because he says so. 
where we began this morning. John chapter 17, verse 13, he says, Jesus says to the Father, I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy. Jesus has joy. How do I know that God has joy? He says he has joy. The Bible says it. I speak, I speak in the world these things that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So now remember the setting here. Jesus, just 12 hours from his crucifixion. The Last Supper, which took place in Jerusalem, had just finished. John chapter 13 and 14 record what happened at the Last Supper. And at the last verse of John chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, arise, let us go from here. And so it appears that at that point, they set out to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus was going to pray to God, sweat drops of blood, uh, with drops, like drops of blood, and be arrested and hauled away, bound, chained, and hauled away, Garden of Gethsemane. And it appears that John 15, 16, and 17 were on the road from Jerusalem to Gethsemane. And what, again, we mentioned this last week. Why do I say that? Because chapter 18 Verse 1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where the garden was, speaking of the Garden of Gethsemane. So um, he, he's, he appears to be he's on the road in chapter 15, 16, and 17. Again, chapter 15, and I am the vine, you are the branches. If my words abide in you and you in me, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. These things, he's, it's kind of a slow walk. And then John chapter 16, he's, he's talking to them. And again, the very last word of instruction by Jesus before he was crucified is John chapter 16, verse 33. And what is that last line of John chapter 16, verse 33? The last words of instruction to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the last words of instruction before Jesus, to his disciples before going to the cross. And here's what is, is, is fascinating to me. At that very point, remember there was no chapter, chapter breaks when the Bible was originally written. No chapter breaks. At that point, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right then he breaks out in prayer to the Father. In verse 1, Chapter 17 says, Jesus spoke these, after Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Now listen, I believe that Jesus breaks out in prayer because he has this just massive heart for, for his disciples, for you. He's got this gigantic heart for you. And, and, and he says, in this world, you, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the, overcome the world. And right at that moment, he's thinking, I got to pray for them. I got to pray for them right now. <laughs> and, and by the way, just it's a cue to us, right? When God is knocking on us, we may be doing in the middle of whatever. And, and you realize, I got to pray right now. When, when you get that prompting from the Lord, Pray right then. It took me 10 years before I realized that. 
remember Pastor Greg's uncle, Kevin, taught me that principle, just hanging out with him. All of a sudden, he'd just stop, stop and pray. And, and, and that, that's, a, that's a principle we learned from Jesus here. In the world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I will overcome the world. Oh, I need to pray for them. So he breaks out in prayer. And what does he say? Among other things, verse 13, he says to the Father, he says, now I come to you, Father, and these things I have spoken in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. In other words, Father, give them my joy. So listen, Calvary Chapel. In this world, you're going to have trouble. That's the nature of a fallen world, a world that has fallen into sin. You're going to have trouble. And there's a specific kind of trouble that Christians have because the world doesn't like what we believe and what we say. In this world, you will have trouble. But listen here. There's no way you're going to be able to thrive in that trouble without the joy of God. There is no way. Better put, there's no way that you're going to be able to overcome that trouble. Jesus, in the world you have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You are not going to be able to overcome that trouble that is in your life without the joy of the Lord. Now, the Bible couldn't be clear what the source of our our strength is. It could not be clearer what the source of our strength is. You know the verse, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we know that God has joy? It says it, the Bible says it, the joy of the Lord. That's how we know that God has joy. You know what happens when pastors lose their joy? Anyone know what happens? They quit. The attrition rate for pastors, the give up rate, is over 50% in the first three years. When pastors lose their joy, they quit. When Christians in ministry lose their joy in the Lord, Their days in ministry are numbered. When a Christian man or woman loses his or her her joy in the Lord, they want to quit their job, they want to quit their marriage, they want to quit their friendships, they want to quit whatever when they lose their joy in the Lord. This is the Lord's joy, not a manufactured human joy. And Jesus knows all this. That's why he breaks out in prayer. And his last words of instructions to his disciples. There's so much about joy. In fact, chapters 13 all the way through 17, again, they're written on the last night, the night before his crucifixion. Within 12 hours, he is going to be hanging on a cross. And we've already seen this in John chapter 15, verse 11. uh, He says this, these things, it's almost the same verse as uh, John chapter 17, verse 13. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, how do we know that God has joy? The Bible says it. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Then John chapter 16. That's the chapter before the the chapter we're in today. Jesus speaking, therefore you now have sorrow. He He had just told them he was going away. They had sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And then, of course, our verse today, the middle of John chapter 17. Jesus says, Father, I come to you now, and these things I've spoken in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. How do we know God has joy? Because he says it. And so so by, by praying this to the Father... Jesus is asking God to affirm the joy the disciples have received by receiving his word. Again, what does he say in verse 13? He says, I've spoken these things in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And it's a prayer that he's asking God the Father. Now affirm that joy in them. He's praying this uh, to God. And so, listen, it's so important It's so important. Jesus knows the only way that you're going to overcome the world and the tribulation there, the trouble there, is his joy. He knows that. That's why he's praying this. That's why he talks about it so much in his last instructions before his crucifixion. And it is so important that you ever and always be seeking after your joy. Your life and strength depend upon it. Now, here's the problem. Many of us grew up in very religious homes or religious churches. And by that, I mean churches where an emphasis on a relationship with God was never taught, or maybe even in the case of the church I was in, even mentioned to my recollection. And, And we get this crazy idea that in order to be a good Christian, if you're going to be a good Christian, it, it would be selfish to, to seek God after joy, after you're happy. I mean, that's, happiness is about me, right? Ha- joy is about me. I, it would be wrong for me to seek after joy. And, and you know something? That, that's the result of legalistic, pharisaical religion. It's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that the joy of the Lord is your strength, and when your joy is gone, you must seek it. So listen, if you lose your joy, you get on your knees and you cry out, God, I need your joy. I can't survive without it. If it doesn't come, you cry out again. If it doesn't come the next day, you cry out again. And, and when, you, when you cry out, remind God of the promise in his word. There's a promise in his word for his joy to become alive in you. And that's right here in John chapter 17, verse 33. He, he's, he's, he's asking the Lord to affirm this promise of joy in the lives of his disciples. And that includes you. 
Now remember we said last, the same thing last week in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, one of these shocking prayer statements. He says, most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, if, that's, if he gives that promise to you, and it's a sure promise, how much more when Jesus is the one praying, when Jesus is the one praying to the Father, give them my joy. And so when, you, when, when your joy has departed, and it will, we're fallen creatures in a fallen world, and in this world there's tribulation. You need to cry out to God, restore my joy. Now, an important clarification here. There's a statement that is often given by preachers and people like me, teachers of the Word of God, and I've actually used this before in sermons. And the statement goes something like this. Happiness depends upon outward circumstances. Joy comes from within. Anyone ever heard that? Just raise your hand. Anyone ever heard me say that? <laughs> Keep your hands down. Um, the, here's the problem. That's nowhere in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible. Is, does it say, or is there really any support at all, that happiness is about your outward circumstances and we're never promised happiness. We're promised joy, but that comes from within. The Bible actually teaches the opposite. Uh, in fact, all the time we see people in the Bible uh, that have joy based upon outward circumstances. In fact, there's one in John chapter 16 in the previous chapter. Jesus talking about a woman when she's in labor. She's got, so she's got sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish, but the joy that a human being has been born into the world. And that's outward circumstances, right? Having a baby, that's an outward circumstance. And throughout the Bible, joy is used for what happens to someone when their outward circumstances are good or positive or whatever the word that you want to use. I think rather that what we should be saying is that your joy and happiness does not depend upon outward circumstances. But there's no distinction between joy and happiness. There's no different words in the Greek. They're the same, it's the same word. Some people think the word blessed, it should be translated happy. But, but they're, they're both the same thing. The key is when your happiness vanishes, if you want to use that word, or your joy vanishes, you need to go to God and say, Lord, you promised you say in your word that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You say in your word that you didn't choose me, or rather, I didn't choose you, you, choose me, uh, you chose me in order to bear fruit. How can I bear fruit with no joy? Your word says I need joy to bear fruit. Lord, restore my joy, restore my happiness. Everyone with me? How do we know God has joy? Because God says he has joy. 
I want to get you to the place when you hear the word God, you're so saturated with the word of God. And someone asks you, what word do you think of? The word joy is one of the words that will come to mind. Just a, a few more verses. Matthew 25, 23, when a, a, a born-again Christian steps into heaven, what is Jesus going to say to them? Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus is in heaven filled with joy. Another verse Micah 7.18, he delights in mercy. Speaking of God, God delights in mercy. When you've stumbled, when you've fallen, when you've sinned or whatever, distant sin, recent sin, he delights to forgive you. He delights in mercy. Another verse, this is Jesus in Luke 10.21. Luke 10.21 says this, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced. He rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. How do we know that God has joy? He says it over and over again. So now, Anyone ready to go deep? If you come this morning for a shallow sermon, please don't shout out. Uh, Please. It's time to go deep here. I have a few questions. And and I want to take you to this place to to just show you how important this joy thing is. You cannot be the man or woman of God that he has called you to be without joy so this is important so to take us to a deeper place I want to ask a few questions why is God joyful where's the joy coming from what is the source of God's joy anyone want to shout something else out what is the source of God's joy what's that Source of God's joy, love. Okay. Anyone else? What's the source of joy? What, what makes him joyful? What causes joy in the heart of God? Anyone? Okay, these are good things. Wow, 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 wow. Good. How about his creation? Psalm, is it 104? It says this. May the Lord rejoice in his works. This morning I was in my own devotion time. I was in Psalm 104 and it's the psalm. It just talks about God's creation. It says he sends the springs into the valleys that flow in the hills. It says that by them the birds of the heavens have their home. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. He causes Uh, The trees of the Lord to be full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. Uh, And it just goes on and on and on. The high hills uh, for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for the uh, rock badgers. And then it goes on and it quotes this verse, Psalm 104. He says, may the Lord rejoice in his works. 
So one of the, the reasons God rejoices is, is creation. He looks over it. But what about before creation? Did he have no joy then? What's the source of his joy before the world began? So Eric, Eric Burks, Dr. Eric, the, the man who was up here preaching from this pulpit a couple weeks ago, oh, a few years ago, he wrote me an email and he said, uh, I want you to read this book. He said, this is the best book I ever read in my life. And when, when someone says that to me, someone I respect, they say, this is the best book I've ever read in my life. I'm probably going to get and read that book. Now, but, but listen, don't come up to me and say, this is the best book I've ever read in my life, and like some romance novel. I, I, look, don't do that. I'm not going to read that book. But, 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 but if it's like a serious book, this is the best book I've ever read in my life. I'll probably read that book. So anyway, the book that he, that he sent me was this book. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. Next time you see Eric... He's not here today. He's at a conference out of state. Say, oh, wow, your favorite book of all time, Delighting in the Trinity. It says, the subtitle, An Introduction to the Christian Faith. An Introduction to the Christian Faith, meaning this thing about the Trinity is so important, it's so foundational, that it should be an introduction for any new Christian. The Bible says that Throughout, from the beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation, God is one, Deuteronomy. He is one. There's not hundreds and hundreds of gods. However, he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, a mystery. We'll never understand it. <laughs> but the Bible teaches it from cover to cover. Just a few verses on the Trinity. Matthew 28, verse 19. Now, uh, some people will tell you, well, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. Well, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but it's discussed throughout the Bible. We see the Trinity. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity there. It's a Trinity verse. We see the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three, but one. I love this verse. The last verse of 2 Corinthians, Paul signs off the letter in this way. May the grace of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Clearly talking about three persons. Three, but, but one. That is a mystery. And so, the book of John, the book that we're in, is filled with verses about the Trinity, verses in which you see the Trinity, not always the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sometimes the Father and the Son, sometimes the Spirit and the Son. The very first verse in the book of John is a Trinity verse. It says, in the beginning was the Word, John 1 verse 1, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. So this is, we're seeing here God the Son and God the Father there. That's John chapter 1, verse 1. Another verse uh, in, in John is John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. If anyone loves me, we will come to him and make our home with him, speaking of the Father and the Son. And, and so that's another Trinity verse. Now, John chapter 17, this prayer where he is uh, uh, praying to, to God the Father, uh, the, the Trinity is all over the place in this chapter. And, uh, and for example, in John chapter 17, verse 5, it says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Now, that's not how we pray to God. God, glorify me together with you. No, 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 no. Don't pray like that. A bolt of lightning will hit you. Do not do that. But when, you are, when you're the son of God, you can pray like that. So verse 5, and, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Uh, another verse, verse 21. Jesus is talking about you and me. And he says, and, and th that they all may be one, speaking of unity, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also may be one in us. So it's a Trinity verse. Now, remember our question. What's the source of God's love? Like, what was, what was causing God to love before the world began, before he created? The answer is right here in verse 23. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. One more verse, verse 26. Jesus praying to uh, the Father, I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So what is the source of God's love even before the world began? It was the Father loving the Son. For all eternity, the Father has been living with the Son, existing with the Son, rather, and, and, and based upon what He sees and experiences with the Son in front, he, He's bursting with joy. He's bursting with joy. What is the source of, of God's joy? When, of Jesus' joy? For all eternity, when Jesus saw the Father, when, this, when he experienced the Father, he was filled with joy. Also love, but also joy. That's where the joy comes from. God doesn't need the world to be filled with joy. He, he is, he's filled with joy just based upon the, that communion that everlasting communion of love and joy within the Godhead, within, within, between the Father, the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And so just to bring this down to, uh, to earth here, you know, I think of my own family. I, I, and just the joy that my own family brings me. And there's a great parallel between a human family and, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I remember a few years back, my daughter was in Peru. She was down there for a month. 
she was, it was more than a few years ago, it was six or seven years ago, she was 16 years old, she's down in Peru for a month, and midway through uh, her trip, I get a call from the missionary, and he said, uh, hey, Pastor Steve, uh, when your daughter gets sick, does she turn blue all over and shake violently? Whoa. I mean, this is not a call that you want to get when your 16-year-old daughter is in a city in Peru. It wasn't even the capital. It was some outward city, you know, where there's no, you know, modern-day hospitals there. I mean, I got down on my knees and prayed, and, and the Lord healed her. I was so happy about that. But I remember the time when she came back. Our whole family went to the airport to pick her up, and I just remember when she came in, I, I was just, my heart was just bursting with joy. I just love my family. It was just bursting with joy. And you say, well, you know, I never grew up in a family like that, so I don't know about that. Well, you know something? The Bible says the family of God. It's the same way. I don't know how many times I've been with just a couple brothers or a, a couple sisters, something like that, and I'm just with them, and it's like, whoa! There's bursting with joy. There's just like this incredible thing happened. That's what's been happening for all eternity between the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's what's been happening. Now back to this book. Oh, by the way, one verse to show, to, to show the, the, the love of the Father and the Son. It's Psalm uh, chapter 16 says this, verse 11. This is, this is a messianic a psalm. This is, this is Jesus speaking to the Father, saying, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the source of the joy. It's each other. And what we are, what we get on planet Earth, we're just the beneficiaries, sort of the overflow of that joy. Now, back to this book. If you, if, is everyone with, with me, by the way? We've gone deep. Are you ready to go deeper? Is that yes? yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's raising their hand. Oh, good. That's good. So in this book, the thing that he does, and, and I, I strongly recommend it, Delighting the Trinity, you can get it on the Internet. He, he, he compares our God, the only one true God, the Trinitarian God, and he compares it with other religions that have a God who's not a, there's not three persons in the Godhead. There's just like one person. <laughs> it's God. And one of the things he does is he talks about is that, so what was this God that's not a Trinity God, what, what was this God doing before the creation of the world? It just, so for one billion years, he's like, for a billion years. And then after a billion years, there's no earth yet. There's no creation. He's like this. A billion years, there's, no, there's nothing to have joy in. There's no object of joy. There's no object of love for just a billion years. And then finally it was, you know, I, I need to make an object for my joy, for my love. Uh, I don't know what, Love and joy is, but I, I, in order to know what it is, I need to. So they created a world in order to have joy. You know, that's a huge problem with that. You mean God needs us to be who He is? Well, that's a big, big problem if God needs me. 
And, and, and you may say, well, wh why is all this so important? <laughs> why, why is he going so deep? Because listen, when your joy departs and you cry, get down on your knees and you cry out to God for joy, you can know that this God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. For all eternity past, he has been bursting with joy. And when you see this promise in John chapter 17, verse 13, and John chapter 15, verse 11, this promise that you're going to have his joy, the joy that you're tapping is uh, uh, tapping off of or participating is, it's not this random thing that goes on and off. It's been going on nonstop for all eternity. It's powerful stuff. It's wonderful stuff. Isn't it great going deep? I think it's great going deep. The Word of God is so deep. I, I, I want to close with this. I, I never want to get too far away from the cross. You know, because this whole thing about joy, there's a whole gospel out there. It's a false gospel. It goes something like this. Every person has a hole in their heart, and uh, you need Jesus to fill that uh, hole. So ask Jesus in your heart, and you'll be filled with joy. That's a false gospel. There's a lot that has to happen in a person's life. A lot that they need to know and recognize before they ask Jesus into their heart and he's really going to come in where this promise of joy is fulfilled. Let me explain that a little, uh, a little further. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of the joy of the Lord, how do we know that God has joy? Because the Bible says it. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 12. I believe Bola was reading from this verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we know God has joy? Because the Bible says it. But listen, without the cross, there is no promise of joy. There's no promise of joy without the cross and embracing the message of the cross. No promise of joy. Quite to the contrary. The Bible actually says the opposite. In Romans chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. Listen carefully. Let this just sink in. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 says this. It says, those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, meaning they reject Jesus Christ, they will have indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, and that on every soul of man. Every soul of man who is self-seeking and doesn't obey the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they, 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 they reject Jesus, there will be indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul. It's a serious thing to reject the Son of of God. On the cross, Jesus went through indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could live out your life with the promise of joy. Peter, the apostle Peter, said to a large crowd in, the, in Acts chapter 2, he said to them, this is the first sermon ever given after the Pentecost, after the church was established. Peter said to a large crowd of people, he said, be saved 
from this twisted generation. Be saved from this twisted, joyless generation. He was saying to him, you're living, in, you're living a twisted, joyless life in a twisted, joyless generation. Be saved from it. Jesus Christ has paid for your sins on the cross and now offers you salvation through faith in him. 3,000 people responded. 3,000 people responded. And it says that immediately after, it says they, they spent day after day in the temple breaking bread from house to house, eating with their food with gladness in their heart, with joy in their heart. But it was the way of the cross that they found that place of gladness, that place of joy. They had to confess to God that it was their sin who had crucified him before asking him into their life to fill that hole. As there is indeed a hole in every person's heart. There's eternity in the hearts of man, Ecclesiastes says. It will only be filled by God. But the only way God comes in is if he's not sharing space, space with any idol in your life. Any lust, any, any, any man-made God, your lust for money, lust for sex, lust for, it, it, it's, it's laying all that stuff and say, come in. I, I recognize this. My sin that crucified you, come into my life. And the resurrected Jesus, he, who has ascended into heaven, will come in. If you've never done that, uh, this morning's the time to do that. You can do that by a simple prayer of faith. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come back up, and we're going to close with a worship song. And a prayer, and an opportunity to pray. If you uh, to pray, if you've been asked to pray, please uh, please come up. At this time, if you've been asked to be a prayer partner, please come up and and uh, li- listen. So if you if you're if you're here this morning, and your heart has been stirred by by the by the Bible and the message, and you know full well your joy is departed. Number one, if you have never accepted Christ the King into your your life to replace yourself as the King, you've never said to God, he just, Pastor Steve just used that word self-seeking, and as I think of my life, anytime it came a decision between what self wanted, me, and God wanted I always chose the option of self. <laughs> Maybe once in a while, God. But he's, not, he's never been the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, it's a prayer of faith. The Bible says you are not good enough <laughs> to have a relationship with God. No man is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus is good enough. And he went perfectly good to the cross and died for your sin. He wants to credit his perfect life to your account. That's what he wants to do. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, come up. We can pray about that. Or if, you, if your joy has departed. Now, I lost count 25 years ago how many times my joy has departed because in this world, there's trouble. You live in a fallen world. If your joy has departed and you want a brother or sister to cry out with you or pray with you, come on up. As, we, uh, as the worship team begins. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship, and if you want to come up, you can, uh, you can, uh, 
you can, you can please do come up. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this word. And Lord, it's just so amazing looking at what your heart has for us. And Lord, we're surprised. And we're surprised that if we hear that word God, that if we really do understand the Bible, one of the first words that should come to mind is that word joy. And Lord, I just, I thank you. I thank you in Jesus' name for just opening up your heart and giving us a a view into it this morning. I just pray, Lord, in accordance with your word, you say, you began a good work, Lord. And you're faithful to complete it. Complete it, Lord. Complete it here this morning and as we're just going out this week, complete this word. God, we love you and you, we need you. Now we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like prayer, please come up.